This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. If you think that this is something happening down in Georgia, uh, you are misapprehending the moment that we're living in. If you think that this is something happening to black voters, you still don't quite clearly understand. This is a defining moment for the American democracy. If this is happening in the state capitol in Georgia, it will not take very long for it to visit a state capitol near you. Uh, because clearly while there is the, the reverberations of race, our ongoing struggle in America here, the ways in which poor people, young people, uh, are marginalized in various ways. Uh, in, in a real sense, this is about something much more profound than that. It, it is about whether we are who we say we are. Either we're a democracy or we're not. Either we believe in the idea of one person, one vote, or we don't. Either I'm a citizen or I'm not. These are politicians who are trying to hold on to power. That's what this is. It's a power struggle, and they've decided that they're going to hold on to power no matter what, even if it costs the democracy itself. And the only people ultimately who can correct this are the people themselves. And so we've all got to stand up, say no to this. History is watching us, and our children are counting on us. I am a deeply hopeful person, and and hope is, is a little different from optimism. Hope is the recognition that, yeah, we are in a serious fight. Uh, for uh, what is good, what is true, what is righteous, and uh, evil is well-financed and determined. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening and thank you for joining us here tonight, Saturday, March 27, 2021. March is already on its way out. Last week was the first day, last Saturday was the first day of spring. Well, we welcome you and we hope that you are well and that you are healthy and since last week just a little bit more wise this is our common ground and um 
If you'd like to join us in our chat room, you can by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And we thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. Senator Warnock of Georgia has been in the Senate but for a short period of time. And the language that he uses, what he says, has been so powerful this week. I don't know how many of you um, are familiar with what's going on in his home state, and we're going to be talking about it here at our common ground tonight. But there was something in addition to the blatant invoking and legislating of Jim Crow laws in the state of Georgia signed by the racist, white supremacist Governor Brian Kemp. But something else happened. On Thursday, as Kemp was signing into law new Jim Crow and voter suppression laws against black and brown people, two Georgia state troopers pulled a state lawmaker Her name is State Representative Cannon, Park Cannon, and arrested her as she knocked on the door of the governor's office where he was signing these new sweeping voter restrictions into law. She was knocking at the door. In the video that has become very prominent online, we can see Cannon knocking on the door of Governor Brian Kemp's office as he held a private live stream event. How and my question is how does a governor have a private signing of public legislation? And the video shows that these troopers telling her to move away from the door. After she knocked Troopers arrest her and then drag her by her arms. And you can hear Cannon identifying herself as a lawmaker as she is being detained. Part of that scene was to try the way in which they were dragging her. And she had on high heel shoes. She couldn't walk 
to the pace in which they were dragging her. She was taken to the Fulton County Jail and charged with obstruction of law enforcement and disrupting a session of the Georgia General Assembly. So tonight at our common ground, we are welcoming you here as we talk about the evil which is well-financed and determined disenfranchisement laws and Jim Crow. And we thank you for joining us. Here is the statement that you might have missed in our opening by Senator Warnock of Georgia. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. If you think that this is something happening down in Georgia, uh, you are misapprehending the moment that we're living in. If you think that this is something happening to black voters, you still don't quite clearly understand. This is a defining moment for the American democracy. If this is happening in the state capitol in Georgia, it will not take very long for it to visit a state capitol near you. Uh, because clearly while there is the, the reverberations of race, our ongoing struggle in America here, the ways in which poor people, young people, uh, are marginalized in various ways. Uh, in, in a real sense, this is about something much more profound than that. It, it is about whether we are who we say we are. Either we're a democracy or we're not. Either we believe in the idea of one person, one vote, or we don't. Either I'm a citizen or I'm not. These are politicians who are trying to hold on to power. That's what this is. It's a power struggle, and they've decided that they're going to hold on to power no matter what, even if it costs the democracy itself. And the only people ultimately who can correct this are the people themselves. And so we've all got to stand up, say no to this. History is watching us, and our children are counting on us. I am a deeply hopeful person, and, and hope is, is a little different from optimism. Hope is the recognition that, yeah, we are in a serious fight. Uh, for uh, what is good, what is true, what is righteous, and uh, evil is well-financed and determined. That is what Senator Warnock had to comment on what occurred in Georgia at the state legislature legislature. Um, and Capitol Building in Atlanta on Thursday. Our open mic is at 347-838-9852. Before we begin to take calls, 
we're expecting the new host of Our Common Ground to be coming in. I don't know if we had some miscommunications. I haven't talked with Dr. James Taylor today or yesterday, and I hope that he will be joining us. I was hoping that he would get some practice by opening up this broadcast tonight. But thank you for being with us. And my question, in looking at evil, well-financed, and determined disenfranchisement of black and brown people in the political system, uh, really results in the idea that there will be no real justice in this country and there cannot be with this kind of disenfranchisement and return to Jim Crow law. Uh, we've been talking about the about the reconstruction period and I hope that if you missed that broadcast last week and the week before that you will go back and review it because we are right back at the point where America made a deal with the devil, and that is to find other ways to enslave black people in this country. And I'm going to go through some of the understanding that you need to have. And I, I like the idea that uh, Senator Warnock, I like saying Senator Warnock, I, I, I like this guy. I think he's well-reasoned, well-balanced, um, and that he's going to be a wonderful arbitrator on the issues of race in the United States Senate. Uh, that is my hope, um, and as he explains, there's a difference between hope and optimism. You can't arbitrate, you can't negotiate, you can't compromise if others are not listening. And because we have a confederacy that has installed itself in our Congress, white supremacists who have decided that the South shall rise again, and that's another part of the language of re reconstruction right after the Civil War, we are definitely in, and you've heard probably a lot of the language, um, Civil War 2.0. Uh, in my estimation, I think in regard to both Jim, law, Jim Crow, uh, which are laws, sets of laws, and in regard to emancipation, and in regard to reconstruction, and in regard to the Civil War, that this is a continuation and not new. And we can talk about that at 347-838-9852. And uh, I hope that we can have um, some discussion about it. We hope that you are healthy and, and, and safe and feeling safe from the pandemic, as we always do at Our Common Ground since the pandemic, we try to give you as much information as we possibly can. As of today, there have been 548,000 deaths from the infection of COVID-19 coronavirus. 
1,260 since yesterday this time. The pandemic is not over. We hope that you are still remanding your family and your friends and yourself to a good, safe protocol. I have had both my um, Moderna uh, vaccinations. Um, It'll be two weeks today that I had the last one. I am still double masking. I am still using uh, antibacterial wipes uh, when I enter the stores, grocers, Um, and uh, I am still doing a lot of hand washing and being very careful. Uh, I am using social distance with people who have been vaccinated, but people who have not been vaccinated, um, I am not. I am making sure that I'm being cautious about the time from the time of the last vaccination with others that they have carried on, that they've gone through the two-week period where, in fact, you are protected. So we hope that you are being safe. Uh, In terms of vaccinations, 27.6% of all Americans and residents of the U.S have had at least the first shot. Um, And 15.1% have had both or the uh, Johnson & Johnson, which is only one, one shot. So we just hope that um, things will get better. Uh, in this country, this pandemic has been very, very hard. Um, I can't think of enough projects to do. I mean, I could very well work on our common ground web stuff um, and and never be short of having things to do uh, but um I'm I'm trying to I've been trying to learn things and I think that I did mention that when the pandemic when I first isolated myself which was February 2020 I started taking lessons about baking bread on online right on YouTube and I was baking bread in the first month and then I decided oh I can't really bake all this bread because I'll be eating all this bread and by the time all of this ends I would probably have gained 30 to 40 pounds so I gave up the bread baking thing because it was also hard to give it away it wasn't like I could take it to uh, nursing homes or uh, adult um care centers or neighbors, everybody was isolating themselves. And then I started learning how to do some basic kind of cooking meal stuff. That's That was a big thing. So <clears throat> now I'm um, 
redoing my atrium. <laughs> and that really is shoveling rocks and uh, learning how to put pavers down and how to set the, the, the soil and put a concrete and a sealer and all that stuff. But in each of the projects, I am reminded that I... It's a wonderful way of getting of of procrastinating because I should be writing more, and um, I had gotten into the world of virtual reality and um, taking tours in different countries and um, skiing and <coughs> excuse me and doing all of that stuff, deep sea diving. Um, some of the places where I wanted to go diving and probably would never get there, uh, particularly in Grenada where there is an underwater uh, uh, in the ocean, a sculpture to honor those who died uh, on that part of the transatlantic slave uh, path journey. And the the sculptures are beautiful, and I had seen many many photographs of it, and just wondered how how it would be to do some diving around those sculptures, which they do have diving tours, and I would never be able to do that. And through virtual reality, I can put on my headset and sit at the bottom of the ocean and walk through and around those sculptures. It's a wonderful thing. It can be very addictive, however. Okay, so our number is 347-838-9852, and we'll be taking your calls. But let's get into this whole um, notion of what happened to Representative Park Cannon. If you watch the video, if you saw some of the photographs in uh, regard to that event, watching these big burly state troopers dragging her through the Capitol, out of the Capitol, and being very rude in their language uh, when they were putting her, she was demanding to know why she was being arrested. And if you saw the video, you know there was no reasonable explanation as to why she was being arrested. Um, so we'd like we'd like to hear from you and your your reaction to what that meant to watch in 2021 the same scenes that we saw on the Pettus Bridge. The same scenes that we saw in Birmingham. And quite frankly, last weekend in Miami when the curfew was being enforced, it just seemed to me, I don't know about you, doing the spring break craziness that was going on on Miami Be on South Beach and Miami Beach last weekend, it just seems like all the people I saw being arrested and being dragged and being tasered, and, and they all seem to be black people. 
And I, I made a note in a conversation about that to some people, and people agreed. Our number is 347-838-9852. But one of the things I want to do is go over, before we start talking about what legislatively what is happening in 47 states in this country and will probably start happening in a state where you live, are the re-invoking and enacting of Jim Crow laws. For those of you who might not be old enough, it's really important for you to understand that Jim Crow laws were a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation. If you will recall, over the last four or five years, I have been talking about the urgency of examining and exploring the political movement to strengthen state rights in this country. But Jim Crow laws were named after a black minstrel show character. The laws, which existed for about 100 years from the post-Civil War era until 1968, and they were meant to marginalize black people by denying them the right to vote, hold jobs, get an education, or other opportunities. Those who attempted to defy Jim Crow laws often faced arrests, fines, jail sentences, violence in the form of burning and lynching, and thus death. The roots of of, uh, of Jim Crow laws began as early as 1865, immediately following the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery in the United States. These codes were strict local and state laws that detailed when, where, and how formerly enslaved people could work and for how much compensation. Now, I know that I am an elder, but Jim Crow, I grew up in the Jim Crow era. There were Jim Crow laws still in place when I was growing up. I'll give you an example of a Jim Crow law. The sundown laws. In certain places, all over the United States, not just in the South. You couldn't be in a certain area if you were black after sundown unless you had a note from a white employer or a white person authorizing you to be there. Here's an example. When Sammy Davis was very 
famous and very, very popular with white audiences. He often performed in Miami Beach. To get from the city of Miami to Miami Beach, you have to cross the bridge. There was a law, a sundown law in Miami, and Sammy Davis Jr., even because he was famous, he had, he, I, I won't say he was rich, he was famous, he had a lot of money, and he ran with the likes of, uh, what do you call that person? Um, <laughs> uh, Frank Sinatra was his good friend and buddy. He had to have a note in his pocket to show to law enforcement people who were enforcing the sundown law. In New York City, in Boston, in Detroit, in Dallas, in Houston, there were, in, in Los Angeles, there were Jim Crow laws. These were, they were um, a legal system which was stacked against black citizens. Um, there were former Confederate soldiers working as police and judges, this is right after the Civil War, right after the 13th Amendment uh, had been ratified, um, making it difficult for blacks to win court cases and ensuring that they were subject to these codes. This is Jim, Jim Crow laws and black codes. And, you know, one of the ways in which they did it, and, and I'm, I'm glad that... Um, we want to make this distinction because people misunderstand. In California and Oregon and Illinois, Chicago, they weren't called Jim Crow because the minstrel show, the minstrel character Jim Crow wasn't prominent in New York City, wasn't prominent in Newark, wasn't prominent in Boston but they were referred to as black codes. They were there. You know, this whole idea that black people, that anybody, anybody believes that black people were free in the north and on the west coast, it was just the south. That is what Senator Reverend Warnock is saying, you misapprehend. I love that word. I have always loved that word. You misapprehend. I said, I once told a young white woman who worked for me. I didn't hire her, but I ended up, she ended up working for me. And uh, she was probably about a year or two younger than me. And I had to say to her, can you imagine? I, I love remembering this. 
sweetie, you misapprehend who is in charge here. I love that. Michelle, can't you just see me doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for 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 weeks, every time I looked at her, I had a big grin on my face because I was working real hard for somebody else to take her off my hands. Okay, but anyway, so in in the North, the judicial system, the police, the whole government system understood these as the black codes. In the South, we referred to them as Jim Crow laws because we understood and knew the minstrel. I, I wish that um, Blog Talk Radio had a thing where I could flash up some pictures so you all could see because this character was in blackface. You've probably seen pictures of it. In the, when you lived in the South, you knew the minstrel and you and you knew the character Jim Crow, and that's why it was more prominent. So, do not misapprehend Jim Crow and the Black Codes all the same thing. It's a legal system stacked against Black citizens. In the South, Confederate soldiers got jobs in the police departments, were appointed judges, ran for mayor, ran for city council. In the North, it was soldiers and men who fought in the Civil War under the northern banner, but they were really Confederates anyway. So I hope I hope you understand that in this history. Now, during the Reconstruction era, local governments as well as um, the National Democratic Party and President Andrew John- Johnson thwarted efforts to help black Americans move forward. Violence was on the rise, and one of the things I do recommend to all of you, if you have not done it, I don't know where he is, but we did a, at Our Common Ground, we did a four-part series on the history uh, black political movements in America. And if you really want to know who, what, and when about the Reconstruction era, I'm not going to sit here and try to teach history, but I, I do want people to know as we as we talk about uh, what is happening in Atlanta as an example of what is happening all over the country. Uh, you need to know. You need to have some of this background because you know how people call up here, and they be talking out of their ass and pulling it from all all different areas, and and it doesn't make any sense. But during this period, um, schools were vandalized, and these were schools that black people uh, set up and and financed themselves, and they were destroyed. 
This was during the time of um, during the time of um, Wilmington, North Carolina, was one of the examples of the kind of violence against thriving black communities that happened all over this country. And Wilmington happened before Tulsa, before Oklahoma City. And Rosewood happened right after Wilmington. And there were many others. Black schools were vandalized and destroyed, and bands of violent white people attacked, tortured, and lynched black people. And that's at, so... At the start of the uh, 1880s, big cities in the South were not wholly beholden to Jim Crow laws, and, and blacks found more freedom in them, although the development of substantial black populations moving to the cities, um, white city dwellers demanded more laws to limit opportunities for black people. But Jim Crow laws soon spread around the country and even more force than previous. Segregated waiting rooms and bus and train stations, laws forbade blacks from living in white neighborhoods, segregation was enforced for public pools, phone booths, hospitals, well up until the 1960s and 70s. Um, during this time, Memphis teacher Ida B. Wells became a prominent activist against Jim Crow laws after refusing to leave a first-class train car designed for white people. She became angry at that kind of injustice and devoted herself to fighting Jim Crow laws, and she traveled throughout the South to publicize um, her work at uh, as she became co-owner of the Memphis Free Speech and Highlight and used her position as editor to take on school segregation and sexual harassment. Of course, a mob destroyed her newspaper and threatened her with death, forcing her to move out of Memphis, where she continued her efforts. There was also a woman by the name of Charlotte Hawkins Brown, a North Carolina-born, Massachusetts-raised black woman who returned to her birthplace at the age of 17 in 1901 to work as a teacher for the American Missionary Association. And after she was, was withdrawn from that school, she began fundraising to start her own school, and named it the Palmer Memorial Institute in North Carolina. These are all kinds of things that came out of Jim Crow laws. We're going to be taking your calls, uh, talking about the aggressive nature of legislation to reinstall Jim Crow in our political system. Um, and our number is 347-838-9852. 773, thank you for your call. 
You're on Hello, the Hello, Janice. How are you? Alpha, Janice, I'm good. I'm so glad to talk with you. I meant to call you today to tell you that I had a power outage and got thrown out of your show last night, but you did a great job for when I was there. Even Michelle is saying that you had good talk last night in our chat room. Oh, because I didn't fall asleep? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know, What's on your mind, Alphonse? Well, I'm listening to the stories you, you're running by us. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I don't understand about people who are fighting on my side, people who are fighting with me who have a bigger microphone, a bigger megaphone than I have. Why is it that the history of white mobs, especially Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Rosewood? Don't forget Wilmington. Don't forget Wilmington. And Wilmington. Wilmington. All of those Mm -hmm. mobs were headed by police. They were headed by law enforcement. Yes. Also, they had, Did, didn't they didn't I planes? just explain to you who the police were? Okay, so why is it that that, what changed? All nothing they did has changed. Was, nothing has changed. So why isn't that a narrative? Why can't we push, go on the offensive with that narrative against Police shooting black people and not getting any any repercussions. Why can't we go with that narrative? From the time they beat Rodney King and got acquitted, that narrative should have been out front and repeated every time a person of color was murdered by a policeman. Well, they have what, been I, I think I think in certain places that history is laced into the narrative. But I I don't think you know. Last week I was on this broadcast apologizing for talking about the Reconstruction some more, <laughs> and I shouldn't have been. And part of it is that people do not understand. Remember remember when I was talking about those of you who were, were, were with us week before last, and I was talking about this golden thread that weaves throughout our history. It's a thread. And... Inside the weave of that thread is all of this history repeating itself. That's why I'm telling people everybody needs to go and listen to the four, the eight hours of history that Dr. Taylor provided us during Black History Month. Because okay. if you, if you, if you understand. What ha- what really happened? I mean, did you hear me say that one of the rewards in the South for men 
who fought for the South in the Confederacy, who believed in the Confederacy, their rewards were getting top political jobs, getting jobs with the police department, getting jobs with the government. Those are the people who moved in. That is how Brian Kemp and people like Rick Scott, people whose family for generations, all through Florida, all through Georgia, all through North Carolina, political families, have served in political positions in police departments for generations. And it's the same thing in Boston. At one time, every Boston police officer who had a son expected that that son would serve in the Boston Police Department. And who were the heads of the Boston Police Department? The Italians who served in World War One and Two. Pinkerton. Janice. Think about Pinkerton in New York, Alpha. Janice, I think what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to get across. I get the <clears throat> point. I get the point. Why people aren't so, using this as a defense against violence against black people. Did I not get the point? So why? I get the point. You're you're yelling in a canyon now because I get the point. (laughs) I'm not yelling at you, Alpho. No, 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 no. I'm going to yell at you no more until you get your shots. (laughs) It's a matter of, they just rejected me from getting a shot. It's a what? metaphor saying that I say they just rejected me from getting a shot. I had it lined up. They sent me a text message that I was not eligible because they were only shooting people in this particular area. And I'm in Chicago, so I can use the term shooting people. Now, <laughs> my point My point on what you are saying, and you're absolutely right, but what is the main model? What is the talking point of TruthWorks Network? The truth must be spoken more than once. This isn't a thing. Repetition breeds familiarity. I hope I said that right. I don't want to murder that word. Yeah, you got it. But, You're getting mighty fancy but, there, Alpha. Go ahead. But the more you hear something, the more it will stick with you. I get an opportunity to sit here all day, every day, and I'm either on my computer or I'm at the television. I'm doing something. But there is a – I'm being bombarded with a repetition of commercials, I'm being bombarded with uh, little cliches that people say. And my point to you is just like an advertiser, repetition 
gets to the point. Joseph Global said what? Make the lie big ad nauseum. Make the truth bigger and repeat it ad nauseum. We can say it, but just in the stories that you have told, since I got here a little late, each and every one of these stories, there is a basis for police to be involved. And in each case, the police were involved, and actually the police were the perpetrators. They were the perpetrators of, they stood up Jim Crow. And like you said, the people came from the military. So the military is full of them. The police stations are full of them. The union halls are full of them. So what we have to do is repeat this over and over until Mm -hmm. it becomes every day. Why do you think Mm -hmm. they're Arizona to be called Jim Crow? Why do you think that it's such a big pushback every time someone like Louis Farrakhan speaks? And they've done a good job of basically silencing him and pushing him into a box. Now, when he speaks, 20% of black people are not wanting to hear what he says. I'm not of that religion, and I don't listen to his religious message. I listen to his economic message, along with um, the other brother, Anderson, Claude Anderson. The truth bears very little resemblance to repetitive thought. If you are not saying it over and over again, not just to you and me, there has to be someone that breaks through in the media. And right now, that's someone that's breaking through, saying things that shouldn't, should never be said by a host, is uh, the girl, Joy Reid. Yeah, Joy Reid's been on fire. She's been on fire because she has called them out for exactly what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jim Crow should be in everybody's vocabulary. Your verbiage, if you get on one of these programs, should include the term Jim Crow. Should include well, the. But here, here's the problem, and you articulated it at the beginning of this call is that people really do not understand. This is why I I produced this particular show tonight, and I don't know where uh, Dr. Taylor is, but I produced this particular show tonight, the show last week, the show the week before, and the show the week before that, because I think it's very important for for people to be able to see 
how what we what is going on starting not even starting but accentuated by the insurrection on January 6th that these are the events these are the actions taken to combat to inhibit to prohibit any progress by black people after the emancipation. And if people don't, you know, Joy Reid and and Jason Johnson and others, they can use the word Jim Crow all they want to, Alpha. But if people don't understand what it means, it falls short. And that is why in my marketing of this particular program tonight, I said I also use the term disenfranchisement laws equals Jim Crow because that's what it they were. They were ways, they were laws put into place to disenfranchise Black people. Well, and I say well like that because when you say they don't understand simply by saying Jim Crow, they don't understand. Then instead of just saying Jim Crow, you know, I mentioned this maybe six months ago. Take Jim Crow and use the term hoodless Klansman. It digs deeper. It's much sharper. Hoodless Klansman. That's what the politicians are, the prosecutors, the judges. They are hoodless Klansmen. And throw in that the meme that why do Klansmen wear hoods? So they can go back to being judges, the lawyers, judges, police. the police, the law. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So I don't know what. But Dr. it Pitt also, is. it also, it. it uh, I want to. I want to underscore that it also points out how important it is for us to know our history and it allows and it allows us to inform our intelligence about everything. You know, it was nearly fuller and, 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 you know, I quote Neely Fuller quite a bit, who said, if you do not understand the system of white supremacy, everything else that you understand will simply serve to confuse you. 
But that's right. Right mm-hmm. now, in this in this day, 2021, there are too many black people who are confused and remain confused because they don't mm-hmm. understand the white supremacy, what this white supremacy is. Mm-hmm. And there are very, there are very few people, not few. There are too many, too few people, who can look at what Brian Kemp and the Georgia Legislature and the other forty-six state legislatures. This whole issue of states' rights has been in front of us for years. You know, Alpha. I have been talking about the danger of continuing to give states certain rights that where federal law does not supersede. And so this Congress had better be in the business of getting H.R. 1 passed. And what does that mean? The F word. Come on, Alpho. Well, caving the filibuster, getting Joe Manchin to flip to get rid of the filibuster is going to be a heavy lift. But I'm like this. Someone walk up to him and ask him if he knows who Blanche Lincoln is. And I'm sure he I does. They, I heard you talk about Blanche you know you got a love affair with Blanche Lincoln. What, what did they do to her? What did they do to her? They primaried her. When they lost the primaries, they abandoned her. She's out. We got Tom Cotton, but we have to deal from there. The yeah. demographics yeah. of this country are changing Every single year. And right now, more than any other time in our history, the Republican Party is wide open. They are exposed. Well, well here's, here's another. It's the democratic end of politics. Well, here's here's a here's another way in which I think that the Congress can do this. The Congress controlled by the Democrats. I think that they can blanket a Voting Rights Act, which embodies uh, the the Fifth Amendment of the Voting Rights Act that was knocked down by the Supreme Court. And I think they can get that through. But that's that's for another day. Maybe we'll talk about that on the Alpha show next Friday night at ten PM. I won't remember. Alpha <laughs> Do you want me to put you on mute or what do you want to stay in the chat room or what 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 you doing? Well, I'm in I'm in the chat room, but put just put me on mute. Because you might want to come back. Okay. Yeah, I would like to you know, one one last thing, Janice. Janice? Yeah, I'm here. One last thing. You remember I asked you 
about a month ago to grab some of those sound bites from the four weeks that Dr. Taylor was teaching. I have I have them, but you didn't tell me what to do with them. Well, I was going to say put them in as promos. We can enter. I'll be I'll be happy to run his some of okay, those. Okay, I'll put it up at Truthworks. I'll put it up at Truthworks. No problem. I got plenty of them. Okay, put me on mute, and I can wait. Thank you, Alpha, for your call. I I really enjoy, I have always enjoyed uh, kicking it with Alpha. 646, I see you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be right with you. Our number is 347-838-9852. And we, once again, thank you for spending your evening with us here at our common ground thank you for joining us at our common ground transforming truth to power one broadcast at a time evil is well financed and determined stay tuned and we'll be right back with more Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, We had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. That what we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this country. Nothing comes to a sleeper but a dream. Drilling down, just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of Pushback Talk Radio. The Alpha Show. He's back. The Alpha Show. What is that? Oh, that? It's my time machine. Does it work? Sure. Just hit this button. Whoa, dinosaurs. Cool. Or we can go here. Hey, that's Napoleon. Me. Or we can go to the future. Wow, hey, you have this nice house. Do I have a nice house? 
No, you didn't save any money. Always spent it on vacations and stuff. If only there was a way I could go back in time and correct that bad habit. Yep. Okay, the time machine is not real, but the saving thing is. Get in the habit of putting some of your money in savings each week through a 401k, savings account, or financial investment. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy tips on saving, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. What does this crazy little button do? This message brought to you by the American Institute. We need somebody who's shaping the way Occupy shaped the discourse around wealth inequality, the way Black Lives Matter shaped the discourse around vicious legacies of white supremacy as it related to the repressive apparatus of the nation state in regard to this trigger happy police and going on with our precious young brothers and sisters. The people's on my block, I'm as real as can be. Word of God, taking moves never been my safe. So, Teddy, pass the word to your intrusive. I'll be sending the call and stay around 3.30. Queen Pin and Black. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I know the truth. So what I'm asking you is, what is your in-game? This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now back to Our Common Ground. I like the way you work it, Alpha. Yeah, that was for you. (laughs) Thank you for being here with us at Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. And tonight we're talking about the evil which is well-financed and determined, disenfranchisement laws, and Jim Crow right in our face. It is happening, folks, 47 states and in the Congress. And I think that we need to get real about it. We need to get active. I spent yesterday afternoon um, protesting the um, unwarranted arrest and of Representative Park Cannon as she was dragged through the Georgia Capitol building after knocking. I mean, how in the world can you have a private signing of state legislation? And it wasn't like he was in the room by himself. He had five white men up in there with him. And, you know, we we really need to begin to understand that we are now, as black people, in the third reconstruction. I said it. 18 times last year, last week, I said it probably 20 times a week before, and I said it 40 times this year. This is the new, you know, but when you think about it, it's the continuation of the Reconstruction period. It's a, the, the third leg of Reconstruction. The second leg 
was the violence and eruption, protests and demands in response to the late uh, 1950s, 40s, 50s, all the way into the 60s. And it ended with what we call the Civil Rights Era. The Black Power Movement was a way of retaining and expanding what we had gained legislatively and politically and transforming the narrative. So here we are in the third Reconstruction facing 47 states enacting laws to prohibit and limit the citizenship of black and brown people. You know, I always think when I say black and brown people, first of all, people of color, that that really drives me up the wall. Nobody was born a people of color. There are no laws about some people of color. There's no disparate impact of people of color. The disparate impact. Different impact is on black people. We're going to go to our phones. 646, hey, Jay, you're on the air. Thank you for your call. Hey, how you doing, my sister? Listen, I, I, I really don't understand sometimes why you and others expect this white man to act and behave Anything different than a way Okay, let me, st- let, me st- let me stop you there. It may be you don't understand because you don't listen. You're listening to yourself. You're making assumptions. You don't know. There is nothing that you know about anything that I have said or written that would lead you to believe or lead a reasonable person to believe that I expect more from some white people? No, 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 you do. I'll tell you why you do. Because you expect for them not to do it the way that they do it. But they have no other choice but to do it that way. what, What have I ever said that would lead you to conclude that? Because you always you always seem to me to be shocked that they do the things that they do, that they pass laws, Jay, that they go behind Jay, closed doors. Jay, just stop talking. Just stop talking. I've been in this game for 50 years. There is nothing in this country, there is nothing in the system of white supremacy that would lead me to ever believe that they will do anything differently. My question is always, what are we going to do? Oh, we're not going to do nothing. We're not going to do. We're not going to do nothing because then we're not go somewhere, right go narrative. crawl up in a corner, go crawl up I in a corner and die. I didn't say and that. Be black. I didn't say that. I said that we're not going to do anything because we never put forward the right narrative nor do we challenge them on the level that they need to be challenged in order to put the spotlight on so that the world could see it for what it is. 
Because how could you go around the world talking about democracy and in your own country you don't practice it? But they never they never put forward that type of narrative. So this is why they I don't get know. away with it. I don't know who you've been talking to. Oh, I don't know who I, I you've been I, talking to, who you've been listening to. I think I I think I've been listening to enough people who expect <laughs> number one that the Democrats are gonna do something to solve this problem. I know there's a lot of people who think that the corporations are gonna solve this problem when they're not even putting the right type of pressure on them. See, if it was me and I was Latasha Brown and I was Stacey Abrams, where I would start is I would start going from the jungle up from the beginning. There would never be any type of discussion. I would go to people who are now trying to get active, the the athletes saying that they want them to take away star game and start putting them on blast. I I would not be about trying to get people to do well, anything. Why I would go, make demands. Why, why are you talking to me instead of talking to Latasha Brown? Or Stacey oh, no, no, no. I, I have I have I have debailed Latasha Brown. I've debailed her just like when I went out there and I told her in the email that when you dropped that um advertisement I made those calls. That's what you do. You just make the calls. I had a couple of my friends make the call. Now, where do we go forward? Because the bottom line, the Democrats are not going to end the filibuster. That's just not going to happen. And if you don't end the filibuster, then everything that they're doing is just going to move forward, and they're going to make some sort of excuse and narrative to um, get black folks to go out there and vote again for them. You know what I mean? I mean, I watch, I, I already watched Stacey Abrams do it. She's already been on TV doing it, talking about we just got to go out there and vote. We just got to go out there and vote. The reality is your vote is not basically going to get you anything because the numbers and the people that are going to be frustrated is not going to intertwine with one another. So if you need 50 more people, you'll be lucky if you get 20. I mean, I believe white folks know this is like basically their last stand for their survival in this country, and they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that they survive. And to be honest with you, I ain't mad at them. I kind of I enjoy watching it myself. I like to see them mm-hmm. do what they do because the bottom line is this. Maybe, maybe if we continue to talk about the new Jim Crow, maybe some people will figure out what Jim Crow is because most people, in all honesty, don't know what Jim Crow is and don't even understand the impact that Jim Crow had on the position that we in today. So what we'll do is, We'll use the word, the new Jim Crow, but the reality is people are going to keep on going about their business at hand, and the Democrats are going to soft-pedal you. They're going to do everything in their power to keep you on a certain track, because always remember this. The Democrats at the highest level 
in society benefit from this whiteness. And, you know, black people in that income category benefit from it also. So the bottom line is, like I always say, the Democrats are really nothing more than Republicans who just treat you a little bit better. That's all. They just treat you a little bit better. But the bottom line is, we better figure out how we're going to change this narrative because if we don't change the narrative, ain't nothing going to happen. It's just going to be business as usual. And, you know, you got people like Joe Manchin and the rest of them that they going to just hold out and deal on whatever level is presented to them. And when it's all said and done, months are going to go by, court cases are going to go into the court, Hopefully, what they're looking for is them to get to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court basically is going to turn it down. And then, yeah. what are you gonna what are you gonna say? But if you put okay. forward a, a narrative, then we will be in the position of you talk about democracy around the world. Okay, why are you not practicing democracy? Explain well, to the world then, how they're not the democracy and see what happens then. then. Then you ought to join the coalition on the appeal of um, racial um, racial oppression in the United States at the UN. Well, I mean, okay. I, I always I, I got to go. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, Hopefully, yeah. you get another yeah. call other than out for the night. And hey, is this your last week? Is is it's turning and taking over for you. I didn't. I didn't hear it clearly. In April. In. April. April. Oh, oh, oh and, and and you're not going to be on the air no more, other than your your popping. Uh, other than my what? I said you're not going to be on the air no more, other than your popping on the person's show. No, like no, no, no. We're going to have a schedule. We're going to have a schedule. I'll have two weeks. You'll okay. have two weeks. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay, because I, I, you know, I would, I would love. I would love to hear your continuous narrative on how, um, you know, we what we have to do to um, save ourselves from the white man. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I, I think you'll be okay, doing that. Jay. You leave us. Hey, and listen, I don't know why you gave up cooking bread. You should have never given up becoming a uh, it, It's baker. too much work, Jay. It's too much work. <laughs> did you? Did you? you did you at least start to I figured out when you're cooking, you can't do nothing else but cook. And hey, hey, I have to be multitasking. Just this one day, one day, did you start you a sourdough starter? I did. Mm-hmm. And you know I've had one for the last eight years. Really? Yeah. Well, mine, yeah, is, yeah. mine is a year old now. Yeah, don't never get... Never, never get, never get rid of it. It's, it's, it's too easy and simple to, to give it up. And you know, you make you some nice pancakes, and you make your bread every now and then, and you know, you cut it up nice, and you freeze it. You know what I mean? And you, hey, listen, it is what it is. Yeah. But, hey, listen, okay. How Jay. the grandkids doing? The grandkids they're, doing good. They're, they're doing fine. They'll be here week after next. For you? They come into Florida to see you? Yep. Uh, did they take the vaccination? Um, Miles got the Johnson & Johnson, but Mason is too young. 
All I can say is, Janice, is I, 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 I know you in a certain sense, but I wish you would have did something alternative, that vaccination for that young man. I mean, there's, there's things out there, you know, that he could yeah. have done and said take that vaccination. But, hey, let's just hope with his brilliance that the creator will, will protect him. But um, He'll hey, be it is what it is. I hope it is what it is. Thanks, yep. Jay. That was Jay from New York City. Um, I, I, I want to take a look at um, this whole thing on um, um, reconstruction again because I think it's so important for people to really understand what it's about. And I hope this is the right, um, this is the right clip. So we're at this inflection point where we have to talk about what it means to be American and to take care of one another. At the same time, we're grappling with the conversation about police brutality, which is a symptom of a larger system of racism. And so I don't want us to get caught in this notion that if we reform the behaviors of brutality, we have now fixed the problem. I talk about it as reformation and transformation. We are in a nation where reformation is going to have to be a part of what we do. We are not at a place where everyone agrees with the fact that we have to fix everything, but we are at a moment where there is common cause about fixing the most egregious. But we also have to then hold our leaders accountable for making sure there is a transformational conversation that happens at the same time, and we don't allow reformation to displace or overshadow the responsibility of transformation. It's 2020. President Grant easily won re-election, but the campaign revealed growing fault lines in the Republican Party. Grant faced a renegade liberal Republican movement that was critical of the mainstream of the Republican Party. There are good government types who are very upset by the scandals that have been exposed in the Grant administration. Credit Mobilier was basically a phony company that was set up to provide financing for the Pacific Railroad project, and it laundered money. It made lots of money for corrupt individuals. The difficulty is that those corrupt individuals were often members of Congress. Grant is personally quite honest, but he seemed blind, credulous, almost childlike to the presence of unscrupulous people. Corruption is as American as apple pie. And if we find it in the Grant administration and the Reconstruction South, that's not because Reconstruction was inherently corrupt. It's because corruption happens. You could almost make a bumper sticker out of it. Liberal Republicans are also adopting more of a states' rights position now. We can't just keep intervening in the South. And nominated their own candidate for president, Horace Greeley, the editor of the New York Tribune, a long-standing anti-slavery advocate. Greeley made this famous statement that he's confident that masses of our citizens north and south are eager to clasp hands across the bloody chasm that divides them. The split in the Republican Party is the harbinger of a retreat from Reconstruction. Support for Reconstruction was waning in the North, where many had grown weary 
from the growing cost of peace. In this environment, black legislators became targets of scorn, ridicule, and anti-black racist propaganda. Derogatory images of African Americans become more and more prominent in the 1870s. Even someone like Thomas Nast, who was a very vocal advocate for African American political rights during Reconstruction, used his artistry with Harper's Weekly to depict the African Americans in South Carolina, for example, where they have a black majority in the most vile ways. James Pike, a Republican, works on the New York Tribune, publishes this book called The Prostrate State. South Carolina is under the rule of barbarism, incompetence. He has a famous passage in which he's describing really buffoons. Those who are not buffoons are corrupt or incompetent. He hammers again and again and again on almost animalistic stereotypes of field workers to say, really? Are these the people you want to have in charge of your government? Passing laws that suck tax dollars out of hardworking Americans? No. And in fact, we're pretty sure they shouldn't be parts of polite American society at all. They perpetuate an idea that Reconstruction has effectively failed and that the federal government and the Republican Party needed to cut its losses and remove itself from the South. Leave the Negro to those who know him best. White Southerners. As enthusiasm for Reconstruction dwindled in the North, Democrats felt emboldened to intensify their counter-revolution throughout the South. Year after year, election after election, they would not relent. In 1873, amidst the fallout from a fiercely contested election in Louisiana, black Republicans in the town of Colfax staged an armed occupation of the courthouse to prevent Democrats from taking over the Perry seat. White paramilitary organizations surround the courthouse with artillery. The white vigilantes offer guarantees of safe conduct. If you will come out, if you will surrender yourselves, the white vigilantes line them up and execute them. It's nothing more than pure, unadulterated murder. The United States Attorney in Louisiana, under the Enforcement Acts, is responsible for the arrest of over a hundred of the white vigilantes. However, Louisiana juries turned out to be extraordinarily reluctant to convict. Only three convictions are obtained. White Southerners made it difficult for the Republicans and Northerners to enforce Reconstruction policy. The organized white supremacist groups were trying to make the cost of federal intervention higher than the federal government was willing to bear. In state after state, increasingly organized societies, paramilitary clubs, white leagues claimed control of public places. John Roy Lynch, now a congressman, was targeted when he returned home to Mississippi to campaign. At Fayette, they paraded the streets, yelled, fired cannon. 
Each club had a wagon with fodder. Colored men said these wagons contained guns. Democrats all gathered around the place. I took the stand. They commenced to yell at the top of their voices so as to drown out every word I attempted to utter. Southern whites were attempting to take the South back, the red shirts and the knights of the white camellia. That's essentially what the the so-called redemption movements were. They are the ones who are defending the right order of things and civilization, that white people control black people. And that's the way it should be. The brutal violence was accompanied by a major economic downturn, the first since the end of the war. It was known as the panic. Banks and railroads were at the center of the storm, but soon it spread to every corner of the economy. The panic of 1873 has enormously destructive influence. And one of the reasons that I wanted to share parts of what was happening uh, from historical fact is for these past few minutes is to help you see where we are. That could have been a description of all that happened in America between the Reagan years all the way through the Trump era, both the campaign and uh, his presidency, all of those things happened. The taking back, the demonization, the continuing demonization of black people, black people in politics, black people uh, who were economically progressing, Everything black was demonized over that period of time, even the half-black president, Barack Obama. And he wasn't even black. I mean, history is so important to be able to inform how you see things through history. Uh, Barack Obama was not black. Barack Obama was half half African-American. His father was African, and his mother was white. So he was not a descendant of the American chattel slave system. Uh, Ideologically, he did express an allegiance and an alliance to it. But if you look at, if you, if you change the term in that clip from Democrats and make it Republicans and make Republicans Democrats, you can see it. Our number is 347-838-9852. And one of the things that I think all of us are are facing 
in the in the, in, in the face of what is happening in terms of the evoking of the black codes once again in our government landscape is that a lot of our people who say that they are our allies uh, are coming to us and saying, hey, I, I just want you to know that I don't agree with what's going on in Atlanta and I don't agree with what they're doing across the country in regard to voter suppression and 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 black oppression and, and it could be so exhausting correction I want to correct myself some people can be so exhausting and even though exceptions are generally implied when we generalize for some people nothing can be left to implication, especially if the subject is racism and white supremacy. I I have seen and I still see the evidence of this in the comments of every, nearly every article that I read about race. I mean, one of the things I read, the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, the Atlantic, the New Yorker, I read a lot on a daily basis, and I see the evidence of this, and in, in in, in, in I particularly read the comment sections of the Boston Globe every day, and there are always a few, usually white people, who take offense because they presume that when black people are talking about racism and racism, they're pointing the finger. White people inflict on on us, unless white people is qualified with some, that they're being lumped in with the with the main offenders. Apparently, for them, the true horror of racism isn't racism itself, but being accused of it due to association. And you know, and I I can understand the frustration, um, even if I think it's kind of pathetic, for many whites, merely implying that they might be racist can be as triggering as being called the N-word for blacks, although the latter is accompanied by centuries of brutal history and a system that continues to undervalue us. The R-word is a label most white people, even ones who are openly racist, don't want to wear. You notice they all, you know, they all get all fragile, aggressively, uh, um, you know, I call it the aggressive fragility of I'm not racist and not all white people. um, I'm not all racist and not all white people are racist are too common and Thoroughly unnecessary white protestation. When people use them to avoid being lumped together with real racists, they aren't they aren't telling black people 
anything we haven't heard. It's a racist trope. And by constantly repeating it, they're shoving themselves into that unsavory box. It's one step up from some of my best friends are black. I don't know if you're having this problem, but you certainly can give us a call at 347-838-9852. It is all part of the package because, well, when you start shouting at a black person for not acknowledging that you are one of the good white people, you immediately become one of the white people that black people complain about. <laughs> if if I talk about racism, which I, I'm always talking about racism, I'm always talking about race, I'm always talking about white supremacy, and exclude, exclude some when I refer to white people, my white friends don't get defensive. They don't try to correct me or gripe about how unfair I am black, and black people are treating white people like they're all racist. They they ask how they can do better, what they can do in their own community, in their own families. They recognize that white privilege isn't about economics alone. They don't see racism as someone else's problem just because they don't actively or consciously consider whites to be superior to blacks. So, uh, you know, uh, my, and I'm going back to Jay's question, uh, I, I think that he is right, but there has always been a movement in this country that saw the Black Panther Party, for instance, had 14 different chapters outside of the United States. The NAACP has chapters outside of the United States and standing committees that deal with the issue of promoting advocacy advocating that racism and white supremacy in the United States is a human rights issue and should be the concern it should be a concern globally but in addition to that in regard to Jay's comments one of the things that Countries like China, North Korea, many countries, Jamaica, Haiti, they begin to weaponize rather than advocate on the issue of the racial turmoil in this country. And that has to be something that we should be concerned about. Our number is 347-838-9852. We've only got a few more minutes, and, and, and I'm trying to bring all of this together in a way that you begin to have conversations 
with the people in your sphere of influence to understand the relevance of this history, the relevance. Um, I mean, many people in the United States do not understand and um, do not understand that outside of our political system, for instance, in the UK, and and you might want to look it up. There's a guy, Jay, um, if you're still listening, uh, there's a guy by the name of Paul Gilroy. He's a citizen of the UK, and he does a lot of writing about race issues in the United States. There is also uh, a group, uh, Ajimu Baraka, Ron Daniels, Ron Daniels Organization, and a number of organizations in this country that belong to the Standing Committee within the UN to appeal globally um, on the issue of race, racial oppression in the United States, and you might want to check that out. But I, I do want to go back to helping you understand about Jim Crow laws in the 20th century. Right, right after the World War One, the NAACP noted that lynchings had become so prevalent that it sent a, a, a guy by the name of Walter White, um, who was the president of the, uh, the NAACP at the time. And he had, his skin was so light and his hair was so smooth that he could infiltrate white hate groups. And as lynchings increased, um, it was called the Red Summer in 1919, a period that was called the Red Summer. um, um, And race riots, there were, in, 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 in 1919, there were 25 race riots in the United States. And these riots were in retaliation by white authorities charged with black communities with conspiring to conquer white America. Let me get that right. I'm I'm, I'm trying to put it in my head right. The Red Summer were more than 25 race riots, because I want you to really understand this. In the summer of 1919, and in retaliation to those riots, white authorities charged into black communities and charged vocal, that the black people were rioting because they were conspiring to conquer 
quote unquote conquer white America with and with Jim Crow dominating the landscape, education increasingly under attack. And then there were fewer opportunities for black college graduates. Um, the great migration of the 1920s saw a significant migration of educated black people out of the South. And um, you might want to read and understand how the Red Summer also encouraged blacks across the country to begin to migrate into urban areas. I don't know if any of you, if you have not, it's a wonderful, wonderful book, and I'm about to mess it up because uh, I'm trying to go through some of this stuff at the top of my head. The book, The Warmth of Other Suns, Suns, S-U-N-S, by Isabel Wilkerson. you will be mesmerized by how she tells our great migration story. This woman writes this story so vividly that you can nearly taste the dust of the cars that transported black people from the rural areas in the south to the local train station to make it to the north. And, you know, Chicago, Alpha was considered the north. I don't know how that happened, but anywhere above Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Florida, North Carolina, was considered the North. You know, when I was growing up, I thought the North was like New York. But, (coughs) excuse me, but you begin to understand that the North was anywhere but in the red clay of Alabama or the muck of Mississippi Delta. So I really recommend, um, yeah, Alpha, you could get it on uh, Audible's. <laughs> she, Isabel Wilkerson reads it herself. It's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And, and, you, and, and you understand the journey because in this book, when she talks, she talks about the Red Summers, and and in this book. She really be embellishes and, and includes the stories of real people who made that journey. Real people who made the journey. So I, I recommend the book. The book is The Warmth of Other Suns. And the author is Isabel Wilkerson. Another book of hers that I recommend that you understand the global and ancient system of white supremacy is um, her book, Caste. 
which talks about class and race and ethnicity. Uh, both very, very good books. Um, so we have a few minutes if you'd like to call in and talk about this aggressive fragility of I'm not like them other white people. Um, I'm not um, not all white people. I call it the not all white people syndrome because it places additional stress on us. And I, I don't want people to believe that you have to be stressed by other people's fragility. Um, it makes no sense, and you should tell your white friends, that it makes no sense and don't put it on you uh, until it is done. It really is all white people. Um, you know, I always tell my friends, "Well, st- just stop being white. Stop." You know, if there's a the culture of of whiteness, the culture of whiteness. And in that culture, if there is an expectation that we offer forgiveness. We did a show about forgiveness last month, one of these times. It wasn't in February. You know, well, maybe it was in February. So you can look in our archives. Uh, we are serious race talk. Uh, is a dying breed. People want to talk about glimpses of the race issues in this country. They want to rage and they want to talk about they and them and, and serious discourse about race is about me and you. It's not about they and them. Uh, they didn't do this, and they did do this, and I can't work with them. Um, it is about what you are going to do. It is about what you're engaged in. It is about what is your game, in game here for our children, for my grandchildren, because when you do something as a black person toward black freedom, toward the lifting of the racial oppression against black people in this country, you are doing something, you are making an offering, you are doing you are gifting my children as well. When you are identifying and exploring a problem which is an impediment to our freedom and you begin to work on solutions creating allies. You know, sometimes black people forget black people are allies. If you don't want to go outside your own circle to solve a problem, stay in your circle. But bring people in that can help you. 
there is no movement, there is nothing that Walter White or I.B. Wells um, um, let me give you some other names. Ida B. Wells, uh, Charlotte Hawkins Brown, Isaiah Montgomery. Um, you know, Isaiah Montgomery was one of the people who recruited other former slaves to settle in the wilderness with him, uh, clearing the land and forging a, a settlement that included several schools. And Andrew Carnegie funded the library, a hospital, three cotton gins, a bank, and a sawmill in a place called Mound Bayou, in Mound Bayou, Mississippi. That was in 1887. And Mound Bayou which I have been there, and I stayed there for a week, um, is a thriving, still a black settlement. It was on my list for retirement, places I'm going to retire. So as we close out tonight, they tell you, that the post-war II era saw an increase in civil rights activities in the black community with a focus on ensuring black citizens were able to vote, and it ushered in the civil rights movement. It resulted in the removal of Jim Crow laws. Nothing in that is true. In 1948, Truman ordered integration in the military. That was to the interest of this country. In 1954, the Supreme Court ruled Brown versus Board of Education. That ruling was not enacted fully. Still, our children continue predominantly to attend segregated schools. And Brown versus Board of Education was to end educational segregation as unconstitutional. In 1964, Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act, which legally ended the segregation that had been institutionalized in housing and banking and financial institutions, and we all know that that is not true. In 1965, the Voting Acts Rights Act halted, was supposed to halt, efforts to keep minorities from voting. And in 1968, the Fair Housing Act was supposed to end discrimination in housing. And we know that that is not true. I want to thank Alpho and Jay for their calls. Uh, for uh, your presence in our chat room. If we die, if we go away at our common ground, um, it will be because we found 
that we were no longer being helpful, useful. So let people know that we are here and we will be here. People need us here. Have a good week. Be safe. And thank you. If you think that this is something happening down in Georgia, uh, you are misapprehending the moment that we're living in. If you think that this is something happening to black voters, you still don't quite clearly understand. This is a defining moment for the American democracy. If this is happening in the state capitol in Georgia, it will not take very long for it to visit a state capitol near you. Uh, because clearly while there is the, the reverberations of race, our ongoing struggle in America here, the ways in which poor people, young people uh, are marginalized in various ways, uh, in, in a real sense, this is about something much more profound than that. It, it is about whether we are who we say we are. Either we're a democracy or we're not. Either we believe in the idea of one person, one vote, or we don't. Either I'm a citizen or I'm not. These are politicians who are trying to hold on to power. That's what this is. It's a power struggle, and they've decided that they're going to hold on to power no matter what, even if it costs the democracy itself. And the only people ultimately who can correct this are the people themselves. And so we've all got to stand up, say no to this. History is watching us, and our children are counting on us. I am a deeply hopeful person, and, and hope is, is a little different from optimism. Hope is the recognition that, yeah, we are in a serious fight uh, for uh, what is good, what is true, what is righteous, and uh, evil is well-financed and determined. I understand that. Just who are you? Broken down and Living life on the merry-go-round You can't find a fighter Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham Transforming truth to power One broadcast at a time Thank you for being with us tonight on Our Common Ground. Join us next Saturday night as we talk with you about issues of race and intersectionality. You must know who you are the first thing in the morning and all the day long. Not because they told you, but because you know it, you feel it, you believe it, and you live it. Just who? Are you?